So today we continue in this series called Questions from God, and uh, we've seen that uh, there's literally hundreds of questions in the Bible that God actually addresses to us. I hope in the last couple of weeks as we've talked about this, that as you've read God's Word in your own personal time with Him, that you've even begun to notice some of those questions that before maybe you overlooked. But, but literally from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's hundreds of times that God asks us questions. And He does that for a couple of different reasons. One, to start a meaningful conversation sometimes. Sometimes it's to confront an error in our thinking, and that's exactly what's going to happen in the passage we're going to read this morning. Um, but last week, or actually two weeks ago, we looked at a question from the Old Testament. This morning, we're going to look at a question from the New Testament, a question from Jesus, which a question from Jesus is a question from God. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke uh, chapter 6, and I'm going to read a few verses out of Luke 6 to us this morning. And uh, you, if you would stand with me out of reverence for God and for his word, and uh, you can follow along on the screens. I'm going to begin reading in verse 27 this morning. And this is what Jesus says, Luke 6, 27. <clears throat> but I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other, uh, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, there's the question, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. And so this passage of scripture comes from one of, I guess, Jesus's most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, recorded in Matthew 5 here in Luke 6. But Jesus is just north of the shore of Galilee in this hillside. He's probably got hundreds of people there that are listening to him. And Matthew records that when Jesus finished this particular sermon, that the people commented that Jesus taught as one having authority. So Jesus was perceived as someone who knew what he was talking about. He didn't have notes like me. <laughs> he just got up and shared from his heart. And people were observing that he had authority as he spoke. And so Jesus is talking about here the most, probably the most important subject that any of us ever think about, and that's the subject of love. But he's not talking about love like we understand love. It's completely unique. In fact, there really, in the original language here of Greek, there wasn't really an accurate word to sufficiently describe Christian love. There were words for friendship, words for romantic love, words for other kinds of love, but there was no really a, no word to describe what's Christian love, the, the significance of Christian love. So they created a word, and the word is agape. I'm sure you've heard that word before. This is the best definition that I've ever heard of the word agape. Agape means to place supreme value on someone else. So think about that for just a minute. Agape means to just place supreme value on another person. It's not based on your emotions. Most of our love is based on emotion. We love someone based on how we feel about them, right? So we treat them according to how we feel about them. That's not what Christian love is about at all. It's not about emotion. 
Neither is it about merit. Uh, Sometimes we love people based on whether they deserve to be loved or not. If they act a certain way, behave a certain way, treat us a certain way, then we respond in like kind and we love them back. We treat them the same way or the similar, similar way or whatever. So, but that's not what Christian love, that's not what agape love is. Agape love is totally unique. It's the kind of love that God has for us. Not based on emotion, not based on merit, certainly. It's the kind of love that God commands us to have for one another and for actually all people. So here's what it comes down to. Agape love is actually a choice we make to place supreme value on another person. So maybe for you, you thought about that and thought, well, you know, that that has been confusing because I've known that I should love people. He mentions enemies here and difficult people in our lives, but I don't feel any love for them. So I don't really know how I'm supposed to do that. Well, that's why he could command us to love other people because it's not based on them at all. It's based on God's model of his love for us. So you'll notice here what Jesus talks about is mostly doing things that we do for them. Because if you value someone supremely, you will do certain things for them. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, which we call the love chapter, Paul wrote in Corinthians, is we often read it at weddings. It's not really a romantic kind of love. It's, a, it's, a, it's agape love. It's a love that says you're supremely valuable. And because of that, Paul goes on to talk about the way love acts. Love, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not boastful. When you value someone else, 1 Corinthians 13, especially the first few verses, just describe how you'll act toward them when you value them. It's just natural when you think of other people that way. So, as I said, Jesus mentions here some people that are pretty hard to love. People that hate you. People that mistreat you. People that hit you. People that insult you. People that uh, steal from you. I mean, that, that sort of represents the hardest kind of people in the world to love. To value supremely. And yet that's exactly the way that God loves us. So it's a completely unique kind of love. So this morning, when when you think about this love, what I want you to understand is is that it's an opportunity. Anytime we place supreme value on someone else, uh, whether we know them or don't know them, it's an opportunity for us to do three things. And the first is this. It's an opportunity for us to be exceptional. I mean, Jesus asked this great question here. He says, what credit is it of you if you love those who love you? Even people who don't know Jesus do that. I mean, that's what most people do. If you love me, I'll love you back. If you don't love me, I won't love you. (laughs) But he says, that's not the way we act as Jesus followers. That's not who we are. That's not how we live. We value people based on the value God places on their life. And so maybe somebody's already come to your mind this morning that's difficult for you to love challenge for you to love maybe you're that in somebody else's life you ever thought about that (laughs) and you if you try to love them in some traditional way like feel love for them or wait till they deserve your love then you're probably not doing too great at loving them but that's not what Christian love is we love because he first loved us and I believe that this is this part of Christianity we're missing this in our reputation today in our culture I don't think our culture looks at us and thinks about us and goes, you know, Christians, they love in a completely different way than everybody else. I wish they would see that about us. I think that's what Jesus is trying to say is that we do love in a completely unique way when we place value on people regardless of how they act, regardless of how we feel about them, regardless of who they are. And so I think there are three different kind of categories of people that are difficult for us to love, but 
three categories of people that present with us for us an opportunity to be exceptional, to do something exceptional in our lives. And the first of those is the people that I would describe as the unloving. You know, people that just never give love back. You have anybody like that in your life? You love them, you try to do good things for them, you try to be kind to them, and, and you never get anything back from them. They're just hard, they're just cold. You have anybody like that in your life? And in those situations, sometimes if you're just loving like the sinners out there who don't know Jesus, and I'm using sinners in air quotes today, okay, because I'm a sinner too, so I'm, I'm just saying, if you love like people who don't know Jesus, then you may say, well, somebody who doesn't love me back doesn't deserve my love. But we have an opportunity here, according to Jesus, to be exceptional, to go beyond. It's not a feeling. It doesn't matter what I feel about that person. They have supreme value to God. So when I treat them as though God made them with supreme value, then I'm doing what Jesus said. Even if they don't love me back, even if they don't respond in like fashion. So there's the unloving, the unlovable. You know anybody like this? They're rude. They're mean. Maybe harsh with you. I worked with a guy at the auto parts store in Tyler when I was in college, and he just did not like me. His name was Jerry. Jerry could not stand me, I think partly because I was a Christian. I don't know what the rest of it was, but I never heard Jerry say a good word about anybody. He was always down in his mouth about somebody. He was always mad about something. I'm sure he had a terrible personal life. I didn't really know much about that, but he was just one of those people that was unlovable. You know anybody like that? Just sort of don't want to be around them. Maybe they're in your family. (laughs) Maybe they're your neighbor. Maybe they're somebody you work with. You don't have a choice about being around them. And they're hard to be around because they're just, they're kind of unlovable people. It's kind of like in in, uh, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. You remember Scrooge? Scrooge just wasn't happy about anything. Of course, you find out his backstory and you understand kind of why he was like that. But you remember when his nephew comes to invite him over for Christmas dinner? I mean, this is a fiction, right? Dickens wrote this and I think he was kind of thinking about this very idea because his nephew comes in there and says, hey, I want you to come uncle to my house for Christmas, you know? And Scrooge is like, oh, humbug. I don't want to come to your house for Christmas. You keep Christmas however you want to keep Christmas. I'm not wasting my money to come over to your house and eat with you. And it's like that sometimes. Sometimes we are called to value people when we get nothing back from them because they're unlovable. And then the last group I would say that's kind of tough to love sometimes are people that are unloved. They're people that are different. Maybe they're loners. Maybe, they, maybe they're loners because they've constructed this sophisticated defense mechanism to keep people away from them because they've lived in this revolving door of rejection. Nobody likes them. They're just different enough that people don't understand them. We might call them weird. They're not like us. So they just stay isolated from people because they're so sick of getting hurt and burned that they just keep people at arm's length, the unloved. Maybe they're different because physically there's something different about them or maybe mentally there's a challenge there for them and there's just something that keeps them separated from the rest of us and I would say they're the unloved and you probably know somebody like that in your life as well. The greatest illustration I can think of uh, about a a person understanding agape love, a model of that was a girl several years ago that was in our youth group. We We went to Mexico every year on spring break mission trips before you could, when you could still go to Mexico and do those things. And we loved going down there and we'd come back and every time we would get back into the States, kids were like, let's go hit fast food, you know, let's go get some greasy American food, you know? And so I think it was San Antonio, we'd gotten up, we'd spent the night at this church in San Antonio, we got in the next morning, we were going to McDonald's. And uh, you know, I'm the last one off the van, last one in the restaurant and there's 60 kids gathered up trying to order at McDonald's and you can imagine how everybody appreciated that. 
especially when they're ravenously hungry for fast food. You know, they haven't had it in a week. So they're like, oh, I want one of those, one of those, one of those, you know. And so everybody's ordering and I'm sort of just taking in the room and, and making sure everybody's okay. And this girl in our youth group named Amy, I see her and she's, she's kind of not with her friends. She's standing over here by herself, but she's talking to this man and his son. And his son looks to be like teenage age, but he's Down syndrome. See that about him. And I'm figuring because of the way she's talking to them, probably she knows them. Maybe they're relatives or, uh, you know, friends. Maybe they're from Longview. I wasn't sure, but I thought, just keep an eye on that. So I'm watching that. And so everybody's getting in line. Everybody's with their friends, and they're going and getting their stuff and sitting down. And she just hangs out with this guy and his son. And she gets her food on her tray. She turns around and she says, where do you guys want to sit? And the boy looks at his dad, and he's like smiling, you know, and they go sit down. The three of them go sit down and have breakfast together. And um, we got ready to load up and leave, and we were, we were getting the van. I'm making sure we had our head count right and all that. And I get this knock on the window, and it's the dad of this kid. And he comes to the window, and he says, come here, come here. Come out of the van a second. I want to tell you something. So we go around behind the van, and he says, I don't know what you're teaching those kids, but he said, nobody's ever treated my son like that. Nobody's ever looked him in the eye and just had a conversation with him. Nobody's ever loved him like that girl, Amy, loved my son. I said, well, I figured she knew you. She goes, we've never seen her before in our life. I said, well, I didn't teach him anything. Amy's that way because she loves Jesus <laughs> and because she's trying to live her life for Jesus. And he goes, well, she does. She gets it. My son will never forget this day. No one's ever treated him like this, the unloved, right? That's agape love. When you look at somebody who has nothing to offer you back, doesn't deserve it, you don't feel it, but you say, you know what? You have value because God says you have value, and that's all I need to know about you is that you're a creation of God. You're a child that God's made, and he wants you to be loved like that. Now, I got to tell you, if we would do that, I have a feeling that uh, the world would notice that that what Jesus said about us would come true when Jesus said this in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love or supremely value one another. In other words, inside the church, if we could just get that down inside the church toward our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, just supremely value each other here, then that means people out there would notice it. That they would say, wow, there's something different about the way Christians love. Don't you think that's the way Jesus intended it to be? He wants it for us, and I think that's missing today because I think we have, we, we've got love confused with emotion. We think we have to feel love before we can love somebody, or you have to deserve my love before I love you. Not according to Jesus because I didn't deserve his love, and you didn't either, <laughs> and you don't, and I don't today, but that's okay. He loves anyway, and he gives us the opportunity to be exceptional in the way that we love. So love, agape love is not a it's not a conditional kind of love. It's not an if love. I'll love you if. No. I love you since. Since you're created by God in his image. So, so would you describe the way that you love currently as exceptional? Because that's what we have the opportunity to do. Not just be like everybody else in the world. We have an opportunity to stand out, to have a testimony that's unique and different, to be exceptional in the way we value other people. So that's the first thing. It's an opportunity to be exceptional. The second thing this morning is when we love like Christ, we have an opportunity to be an example of the Father. Don't you want people to know what God's like? 
Don't you, don't you want people in your life who don't know anything about the Lord to know how amazing and great God is? We just sing to God, we just sing about God. Don't you wish you could show them what God's like? You can, you can, by the way you value them. And when you value them, you'll be setting an example, a, a flesh and blood example to them of what God's love is really like. See, um, God supremely values you. And once you fully understand that, then you're in a better place to model that or be an example of that to other people. That's the way the Father does. Jesus said here in this passage, then you will be children of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now, I want you to understand something. He's not saying, don't be confused. He's not saying that if you love like this, you'll become a child of God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, because you're a child of God, when you emulate his love, you'll be setting an example to other people of what his love is like. It's kind of like this. My wife, Christy, got to know my dad for a few years before he passed away. And I've told you guys about my dad before. He, was, uh, he suffered from depression, but when he wasn't depressed, he was, he was a loud, boisterous, no strangers around him. He knew everybody. He embarrassed me every minute of my life that I was alive with him. And, uh, but everybody loved my dad. He was loud. Whatever, if he was in the room, everybody was going to know it. Well, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a lot like my dad in some ways, but every once in a while, Christy will say, oh, I just heard John Coleman. <laughs> I just saw John Coleman in something I said or did. You ever done that about your parents? You go, oh, wow. And the weird thing is Christy's kind of like my dad. I ended up marrying somebody who's like my dad. That's so weird. I don't even, anyway. But here's the point. Here's the point. When you are, when you are around your parents, you begin to act like them. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you love the way Jesus loves, when you love the way God loves, then you are representing that you are his child. Not to become his child, but because you already are his child. Because you've experienced his love personally, you can model that for other people. And even people that are evil, he says here. I think that's one of the most impactful ways that we can change culture. We talked about in the Church in Action series that one of the things we do is we shape culture. You may look around and go, no, I think the culture kind of shapes us. Well, that's not the way it should be. But one of the ways that we shape culture is by the way that we love other people. We are the only ones who are going to do this. We're unique. As we follow the Lord and he loves through us, we have an opportunity to live out the values of God, which God even values people that are evil. In fact, this is amazing. Ezekiel says this. This is what God says. Tell them as I live. This is the declaration of the Lord. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Wow. But rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? You see, the example of God is that we kind of take pleasure when evil people die. Glad they're gone. Glad we don't have to deal with them anymore. But God doesn't. Because God truly values every person. Now, he doesn't value their evil but he values them. And he would, as it says here, he would rather that they would live and repent, that they wouldn't have that opportunity taken away from them. So think about this idea of setting an example. You get to actually show people what God is like every day of your life by placing value on them. And men, let me just, let me just talk to you for a second because as men, especially those of us who are married, the Bible says we're the head of our wives as Christ is the head of the church. And that doesn't mean we're the authoritarian. We make all the rules. Everybody jumps when we say jump. No, no, no. It means we're servant leaders. Like Christ loved the church, he served us. He laid down his life for us. That's the way we're supposed to love our wives and our families. And when we do that, an amazing thing happens. We get to set an example for our kids. 
I think one of the greatest, probably the greatest, most powerful instructional tool that you have is your example. Sometimes we think, well, I'm teaching my kids. I'm talking to my kids all the time. And that's great as long as what you're saying to your kids matches how you're living in front of them. Because if there's any discrepancy, guess which one they'll believe? They'll believe your example. Because your example doesn't lie. Your example shows who you are and what you really care about. And when you exemplify God, when you exemplify your heavenly father by placing value on every person that you come in contact with, that has a powerful impact on your kids, but not just your kids, on your wife as well. So, men, we have an opportunity to set an example in, in the way that we live our lives in front of our families to point people to the love of our father. And the third thing this morning is not only is it an opportunity for us to, to to really be exceptional, an opportunity to set an example, but also third this morning, an opportunity to experience God's love. See, the passage ends by talking about God's grace and God's mercy. And we have an opportunity to, to experience that. When we love people, when we demonstrate to them grace and mercy, it reminds us that that's the grace and mercy that God has for us. It's a chance all over again to experience God's love, his grace and mercy in our own life. And you may say, well, grace and mercy are church words. I don't really know what they mean. Well, let me help you understand that. Grace is this, simple definition. Grace is when you get something you don't deserve, a gift. In fact, the word charis, the original word, means a gift. So a true gift is something someone just gives you with no strings attached. It's, a, it's like Christmas, right? You get the gift, you get to open it, you get to keep it. It's yours. Well, grace is getting something you didn't earn, you can't deserve. It's just a gift. Mercy, on the other hand, is when you don't get what you do deserve. Like you ever had mercy on your kids? First time I showed my son mercy, he wanted mercy from then on, you know? Like he had messed up and I said, well, today there's not going to be a consequence. You're actually going to get mercy. And he's like, what's mercy? Mercy means you don't get what you deserve here in this situation. Ooh, I like mercy. I do too. He wanted mercy from then on. That's the way God is. God is gracious and merciful, the Bible says, even to people who are ungrateful and evil because he values them. That's who God is. And we have an opportunity when we value people to, first of all, give them something they don't deserve. And secondly, to not give them what we think they do deserve. Right? Somebody pulls out in front of you in traffic, are you going to give them what they deserve? Or are you going to give them what they don't deserve? Somebody's mean to you? Somebody cuts in front of you in line at Chick-fil-A? You're going to give them what they deserve? You're going to give them what they don't deserve. Right? You ever been on the interstate and you're supposed to merge and that one car just flies past everybody and you know good and well somebody's going to let them in up there. Right? And then there's the one guy that gets over, he won't let him by, you know, because he's going to like be the cop, the policeman or whatever. And the, give them what they don't deserve or you give them what they do deserve. We have an opportunity to really experience God's love every time that we love someone in that way. It's a reminder to us that we can imitate God. Paul said this about God. He said, therefore, be imitators of God. He said this to us as dearly loved children and walk in love. It's, it's the same word, agape. As Christ also loved us or valued us and gave himself up or for us as a sacrificial fragrance or offering of God. So I butchered the end of that. Sorry about that. Sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So most of us at some point may struggle with believing that God truly loves us. But then we realize that we're commanded to love in the same way. And every time we do that, we're reminded that that's the way that God loves us. So we have a chance to be exceptional and be an example so I would just stop and ask you this question this morning. Do you know how valuable you are to God? 
that he would place enough value on you that the life, the, the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that cross is all you ever need to know about how much value you have to God. He valued you enough, not just to allow his son Jesus to come to earth, but he actually sent him here to save you. And I realize a bunch of you in here have already come to the place in your life where you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you realize that. But there's probably someone here in this room or someone who's watching online this morning who hasn't come to that place yet where they've, they've said, you know, I feel worthless before God. That's not what God's telling you, I promise you. You, you have great value. Just look at the fact that he gave his son for you, for you to save you, to forgive you. So I'm going to ask everybody in this room just to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I'm almost through. But I'm going to ask no one to leave. This is super important this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray. If you know Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to pray to him right now. And pray to him and ask him to move on the hearts of people in this room who don't yet know him. If you're watching online, I want you to listen carefully to me this morning. You're not here by accident. Brandon invited you earlier to come and be here in person, and we want that to be true as well. But we're glad that you're watching online, honestly. And the reality is whether you're in the room or watching online, the gospel means good news. The good news is that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought, it can all be forgiven, wiped completely away, forgotten, and you can start your life over right now because of Jesus Christ. The Bible says God demonstrated his love. In other words, he demonstrated the value that we have to him by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And this morning, if you believe in Jesus, you believe he's the savior of the world, then the Bible says whoever will call upon him will be saved. So that's, that's your decision. You, you're the only one that can make that decision for yourself. It's a personal decision. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. But you're the only one that can do that. And this morning, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that, to actually put your trust in Jesus Christ. So um, I'm just going to lead you, if you're here this morning and you want to trust Christ, I'm going to lead you through a time of simply calling on the name of the Lord, like the Bible says. So you could use these words or your own words, but the Lord knows your heart. That's what matters, not the words. So just say something like this, dear God in heaven, I know that you hear me now. I know that you're here with me. I know that you sent Jesus to die for me. And I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I don't want sin in my life. I reject it. I want, I want to be saved more than anything else. I want to know you personally. I want to know your love. God, I pray that you would lead me in, in my life to love like you love. Help me live for you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.